Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. For you lies the most glamorous city on earth, Hollywood, California. A city where men and women skyrocket to fame or plunge to oblivion. What happens amid the glamour of such famous gathering places as the Ambassador Pool, the Trocadero on the Gold Coast of the film city, at the Brown Derby where famous stars meet, or in the gay setting of Santa Anita Park? It's all a part of fantastic Hollywood, Hollywood at playtime. Here behind the walls of Selznick International Studio, we see Hollywood at work. A new Janet Gaynor is in the making. A Janet Gaynor never before seen on the screen. Co-starring is Frederick March, more likable, more swashbuckling than ever before. And now we take you behind the scenes. Director William A. Wellman is guiding Janet Gaynor and Frederick March as they will appear in the David O. Selznick Technicolor production, A Star is Born. All right, Freddie, you know you've been after the girl uh, unsuccessfully. So this time must be very tender, very earnest, and very sincere, and rather quiet. You all ready, Duke? Ready, Mr. All right, roll up! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast where myself, uh, Andrew Pierce, and my co-host Dave uh, takes a look at the Best Picture winners and the losers and decides uh, whether they matter or not. Uh, welcome, Dave. Thank you very much for, for joining me. I'm excited to talk about this fucking loser of a movie, A Star is Born, from 1937. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited as well, and part of the reason why I push this on you and me and, and, and the listeners is because there has been five versions of this story. Um, there has been four... F- oh yeah, one on TV? Uh, no, right? there's been one four, TV? V- four versions with the title of Star is Born, and then prior to this particular version, oh. there was a film called What Price Hollywood? Uh, which essentially has... It's a terrible <laughs> name! Just god-awful! Yep. Um, and What Price Hollywood was a film that, like, when A Star is Born came along, they're a bit like, um, maybe we should take legal action, because this feels like plagiarism. (laughs) And, um, you know, George Cooker directed that particular film, and then he was, I think he was requested to come back and direct this one. He declined, but he he did return to do the uh, Judy Garland version. Uh, This one is directed by William A. Wellman, uh, who is a director who we've already covered a film from. He directed the first Best Picture winner, Wings. And uh, ironically as well, around that particular time, um, this film also carries the performance of uh, the first Best Actress winner, Janet Gaynor, who plays Esther Blodgett. Uh, it was a, a little woman from the middle of nowhere who gets a bit cranky with her family and there's oh, screw this i'm off to hollywood because you guys argue too much <laughs> and her grandmother's like yeah fuck off <laughs> here's some money go <laughs> so this is basically just as good as wings right this is just yeah, right yeah. up there right that's uh, what we're saying yeah sure yeah <laughs> yeah so andrew i this movie confuses me not in, like, following the plot. It's very simple. You know, small-town girl, goes to Hollywood, gets famous, 
marries an alcoholic, and then he kills himself. You know, standard, standard stuff. Why do they keep making this fucking movie? Well, that's Holy the question shit. I want answered. Like, I eh? understand. That's the question I want answered. And I, I, before we I, continue on, I do want to state as well, uh, we will, for people out there, we will be talking about mental health and suicide in this particular episode. So there is going to be a little bit of darkness here. Um, just pre-warning people. Carry on, Dave. <laughs> so I understand the allure of this type of story, right? You don't have to be born into it. You can, you know, local boy, local girl makes good, right? Go off to Hollywood. Someone, the right person sees you and your life changes. It's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Hollywood fairy tale. I get that. I like the most recent version version. I don't love it like you do, but I, I enjoy it. I think it's a good movie. Um, I haven't seen the Barbara Streisand version, the one with Chris Christopherson as well. I have seen this one now for some fucking reason <laughs> twice. Um, and I've seen the Judy Garland version, which I am in the drastic minority of not liking that movie at all. I actually like this version more than I do the Judy Garland version. But aside from the new one, which is, I, I think, which there's a lot of star power in that movie. Um, there's great music, which really help it along. And I think Bradley Cooper does a really admirable job as a first-time director. It's pretty impressive stuff. But besides that, like, none of these movies are are good. Like, I, I watch this movie, and the ultimate indictment of this movie for me is that I don't like the lead character. I find her quite oh. obnoxious. Oh, actually, <laughs> like her, uh, her like oh, I'm gonna do my Mae West. I'm gonna you know do my impressions. Like she's a fucking stand-up comedian. Like oh god, go away. Like is she just really? But actually, you know what the best part about this movie is? Grandma, Grandma rules. Make a whole movie about her. Like from the beginning, where she's like, just don't tell anybody and get the fuck out of here. Here's some money. Awesome. Great. And then when she shows up at the end uh, and lies about her age in front of this gigantic crowd, maybe the funniest moment in the entire film, maybe the biggest smile I had was from her. I don't like, uh, I don't like the guy. But then, hang on, let's talk about the grandma for a second. He's kind of a jackass. Because moments later as well, after, or or beforehand, it all kind of muddles it together. But, uh, you know, after the husband has, has taken his own life, the grandma arrives and she's like, just fucking get over it. Like, you need to get over it. Like, and I'm just like, oh. Look, okay, so so as someone who is employed in the field of mental health, suicide is not funny. But it's funny in this movie. I'm sorry. I laughed. Every time I watch this, I laugh. He just like walks off into the ocean like a fucking mermaid. And I'm just like, what are we... Really? That's that's what we're doing here? Like, it just... And because I'm not connected to either of these characters, I don't care if they end up together or not. Like, it's interesting that he brings her into this world. And, and the one thing I noticed, maybe that I didn't notice the first time, which I thought was kind of cool, um, as a big fan of the movie Brazil, there's a moment where they're putting on her makeup and you're like, oh, that's where Terry Gilliam got that. That's interesting. That's kind of cool. Um, but that was like the only moment of like happiness as I'm watching this movie all the way through. I just I just don't get it. I don't get why people are enamored. I get why people are enamored with the fantasy of going to Hollywood. But this story in particular that honestly they keep telling badly 
it should be like it should be an easy sell. Like this, all of these movies should work for me, right? As someone who like grew up on movies and watched movies my whole life, I love the fantasy of the big screen, right? And I love the idea of like the the backstage drama and everything, you know, and him being like drunk on stage and accidentally hitting her. She's winning her award. Like that stuff should really work for me. And like none of it, even even in the most recent version, it doesn't work for me so much so like you know bradley cooper pissing himself on stage like ugh, i just that's actually like the weakest part of the movie to me like i'm like oh but God, it's supposed is, to be a cringeworthy ridiculous. moment though and it's supposed in to be all of these like oh this is really awkward and uh you know i don't like sitting here and watching this because it's yeah see but i don't i don't have that cringe reaction i have the reaction of like oh who gives a shit like i just like yeah whatever like because in all these movies i always feel like they go too far with the drunken behavior where it's like, yeah, I, I got it. I understand that the man is clearly an alcoholic and has a serious problem. I don't, you know, and they always go two or three steps more than that. Oh, not only does he have a problem, uh, he interrupted her speech. Oh, and not only that, he hit her, even if it was an accident. Like, oh, okay. Like, it's just, and then, you know, the newer version, we always got to do it bigger and bolder. Ah, and he pissed himself. How about them apples? Like, I'm just like, okay, we don't need to go that far. And it's just like, I need, in a movie like this, I need someone, some character to hold on to. And for me, there's like nothing here. There's nothing where I'm like, yeah, that's the person I want to follow. All the people I want to follow are stuck back at home because our lead character was like, fuck off. I'm taking off to Hollywood. I'm going to be an actor, even though I've never done any acting in my life. I'm going to run off to Hollywood and I'm going to be a success. And good for her. She is. Fantastic. But like, man, there's just like... You need a character that you love in a movie like this. Um, and I think it's really difficult to pull off because it's hard to make a normal person get big and continue to like them through the getting big in Hollywood process. Because just by nature of being a star, I think I get a little of that attitude of like, your life isn't that fucking bad. You're a fucking millionaire. Shut up. Just live your life. It's fine. You know, and they try and like tease it apart and have the, you know, I kind of like the scene where he, uh, he has to go to court, uh, cause he gets caught, uh, being drunk and there's, but again, it's all the side characters, right? It's a guy who doesn't know where he is, you know, all the other defendants who are having trouble, you know, and again, it's another story of like famous rich people getting special treatment. Like he's supposed to be locked up and he's like, oh, I like that actress. Yeah, you can go, you can take him. It's fine. Like what? That's not a good idea. Don't do that. Don't send him off with this lady. Like, she can't take care of him. So it's like, you know, stories about broken people, and I get that that's interesting, but there's just not enough here. Like, I, I remember when I first watched this, I'm like, oh, I can't wait. Clearly, I'm going to love this. This is a classic. It's a classic for a reason. And I was, like, very underwhelmed by it. And I, especially on second watch, like, I definitely found my attention drifting because I'm like, well... I know how this ends. I know where it's going. And frankly, I just, I just don't care. Like I want, you know, I, I really like Janet Gaynor in this. I, th- I think that she holds the screen wonderfully. And because, I mean, as a curiosity, this is the first film that is in completely in color that was nominated for Best Picture. And that alone doesn't mean much. It looks nice, that's for sure. Um, it does look very nice. That's actually a good thing to bring up. Like this, especially for being the first one in full color that was, you know, deemed worthy enough for the Oscars. Like it looks 
gorgeous. Like even now looking at it in 2021, I'm like, wow. And maybe because I've surrounded it by watching all these other <laughs> movies from 1937, I've become like those audiences in 1930, like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. But it is great to look yeah, at. Yeah, and she is a great actress. I mean, we saw her in Sunrise how beautiful she is and how she holds the screen. She is just stunning in that film and she's stunning in this film. I mean, she, she has judges. presence. There's no... There's no argument. She definitely has presence. Yeah. There, Absolutely. There's a moment early on where she has to waitress a party and she is going along and uh, just kind of testing out these different accents and these different personalities. Did you get to the preview last night? I did. Would you like a lethal orders? They are very nice. Well, thanks. Well, what did you think of the picture? They should have saved it for Thanksgiving. What a turkey. <laughs> Will you have some hors d'oeuvre? You do like hors d'oeuvre, don't you? I don't think there's anything so enjoyable as hors d'oeuvre before supper. And these are really delightful. And at the finish, the kid turns around and sings the lullaby to its mother. Uh, pardon it, big voice. But would you like a little hors d'oeuvre? They say they're the best. In town. Don't tell me. I know. Mae West. That's a great twist. But where are you going to find a two-month-old baby that can sing? That is a really brilliant moment. I like that moment a lot because it's Ooh. just its just so charming. Ugh. And you get to see her... She knows how to work Hollywood already. She knows what to do. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just hold on. <laughs> imagine you're... Imagine... And this takes a lot of imagination. Imagine you're very famous. You're a Hollywood bigwig. You're at a fucking party. And some waiter starts coming up to you and doing like a Robert De Niro impression. Get the fuck out of here. Leave me alone. Where's my champagne? I don't need you. I don't need you doing your best Robin Williams right now. I, I'm good, actually. Like, I just cannot imagine a situation where that is charming. That is only charming in a film context. And I just kept imagining what this would be like if you were at a party and someone who was bringing you hors d'oeuvres wanted to do their five minutes. Like, let me let me get my, my stand-up in while you're here and maybe I'll get noticed. Completely obnoxious. But the difference is, is that we're on her side here. We're on her side of the story. And so therefore, right, right. it's yes. perfectly fine. Like, I, I understand why she would do that because she's like, fuck it, this is my one big shot. And it's and it's depressing sure. that her one big shot comes as a waitress at a party. And it's like, you know, obviously there is the assistance of the Friedrich March's Norman Maine, um, which is one of the, the kind of continuing aspects of these films. It's not just the narrative, but all the male characters have Maine as the last name and stuff like that. Um, but I found that interesting. But one of the things which you touched on just then was kind of, the, the purpose and the meaning and the reality behind this kind of narrative. It, is, it feels very sensationalized. And here in particular, I think that the, one of the major issues with this version of A Star is Born, and I don't know about the others, I've only seen the, the Bradley Cooper one, which I felt was quite, uh, at least dealt with alcoholism in a respectful manner, where you actually had an understanding of his character. You had more of an understanding of him and a backstory and a history of who he is as a person to understand why he would be that way. Here, Norman Maine is just a fucking dickhead. And... <laughs> He's just a lush. He's a Hollywood lush. Like, it's just... 
It's not painted as like, oh, this man is in clear trouble. We should get him some help. It's like, it's very like, this is much later, but he comes off as like a Dean Martin type to me, like a party yeah, drunk. And they allow it to happen. And there is a, a, you know, there is kind of this, this charm to his uh, alcoholism, which they do, you know, they do paint it in a dark manner. He, you know, takes his own life at the end, but it's just like, it's, it's just frustrating that, Something so serious, and I know there are a few films that are coming up that do win Best Picture that that do touch on this particular subject in a more respectful manner. But here, it's just like, it's comical. And I know that uh, people who do, you know, who are alcoholics and who do consume copious amounts of alcohol do, you know, fill a whole glass with vodka or gin or, you know, whiskey and stuff like that, but... I'm yet to see a film that manages to sell that realization with conviction. Um, I mean, I've seen plretty of films that do sell that with conviction. Another round is a recent film that kind of touches on that perfectly. Mm. Um, a great film great and movie that talks too. about alcoholism Excellent. so wonderfully in a complex manner. But here it just seems like like they fill up a glass for him and he's like, and just a little bit of soda, and it feels like there should be a laugh track to that. Rather than, you know, it being a reality. And I, I think that that is one of the concerning aspects about these films. There is this fetishization of depression. There is a fetishization of alcoholism. And there is a fetishization of suicide as well. Because that, it is so inherently tied to the woman's story. Where this tragedy, this grand tragedy of her succeeding in life and yet, oh, it's tinged by the loss of the man who helped her get there. And for a story that is called The Star is Born, we are so inherently, consistently tied to the death of the man and not allowing the woman to actually have her success. It's like, you can succeed, but it's at the cost of this guy. Like, it's always tied to him. And that's the tragedy of it. And I, I think that's the worst part about this particular narrative. I really do. And at least, you know, with the Bradley Cooper version, it does deal with that respectfully. Um, but here, it doesn't. And that pisses me off greatly. Yeah, I mean, I think there's... I don't want to be, like, super harsh on how it deals with suicide because this is 1937. Definitely, we have a much more nuanced understanding of mental health in general and suicide in particular now. That being said, kind of a dangerous message that this movie sent. Because he literally just walks um, off into the sunset. Because... He's saying, like, it is comical. Because he's like, yeah. I'm just going for a swim and not coming back. And it's like, no! Yeah. <laughs> and, not, and not only that, not only that, she decides, I'm going to give up my career because I love this man. I want to take care of him. And it's, it's shown as something very sad and a loss, as it would be. So the suicide is painted as a relief. Like, oh, now she gets to have her career. Isn't that great? And I'm like, ooh, like imagine, imagine, uh, granted, I don't want to, you know, put too much importance on, on movies as I am want to do often. But imagine that you're a person who struggles with suicidal ideation and you watch a movie, maybe not this movie, but a movie that shows that like, yeah, look, you kill yourself and now you are no longer a burden to these people and they can finally achieve their dreams. That's a shitty message to leave someone with. That's rough. Well, let, all right, let's get real for a moment there. I have in the past tried to take my life 
And I did so with that exact mentality in mind. If I'm not here, things will be better. And right. It's very common thought. Mm-hmm. celebrates that notion. And it infuriates me that it does because it's a... And it doesn't matter if it's the 1930s or 2021. Okay? Like, I know that we have a better understanding of mental health then, but this is an enduring classic. And there is a reason why this particular film has continued on, at least with the Bradley Cooper version. And again, I can't compare the other ones, but at least with that one, you know, Lady Gaga sells the sadness of having lost a partner that she tried to help. And that is really sad. And the moment that he takes his life in that film is not just sad because his dog's sitting outside. It's sad because we care about him as a person. I don't care about Norman Maine here. I don't give a shit. And that's the worst thing. Yeah. And there's no part of it. There's no part of it in the new version that feels celebratory. And this one kind of does where it's like, look, now she gets to be a, a star. And you mentioned this idea of being so connected to this man. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, like how connected she is, because like, the, you know, basically the last line she says in the movie is like, hello, everyone. This is Mrs. Norman Maine. Like she defines herself by this man. And I'm like, Ugh. and again. 1937 gender roles very different than in 2021 but that does there's a lot about this movie that irks me uh but the ending in particular is really really rough but the bright side of this andrew here's the (laughs) this isn't an oscar winner so fuck this movie only oscar winners matter we know that so thank god could you imagine if this was one where it was an actual oscar winner uh I'd be furious. Right. I'd be furious. And and while Janet Gaynor is very good, um, you know, and I haven't That's seen debatable. Louise Rayner's performance, <laughs> but I I think that she's good here, and you know has has great screen presence, and you know that's fantastic. You know that's wonderful. And I always I do find it interesting, at least with the Bradley Cooper version, he is taking a new actress. I mean, she had been in films before, but we didn't know how good she could be. He is at least taking a new actress and doing what this narrative does. You know, for both this version and the Judy Garland version and even the Streisand version, these are people who had already you know, managed to show that they are good yeah. Massive movie stars. Not a surprise. Massive. Yeah. So you're saying, you're saying that Bradley Cooper are. birthed a star. That's that's what we're that's what we're going with. In sure. The <laughs> I mean yeah, I mean the only the only problem with I mean there's a lot of problems with that sentence, but uh the only problem with your your point here is like Lady Gaga is one of the biggest stars in the history of the world. Like she is massive worldwide, but not as an actress. Um, So, I mean, and you bring up a good point. I would love to see a kind of meta version of this movie where you have a mega star uh, male actor and you have basically an unknown playing the star who's going to be born by the end of this movie and actually show that. Like, like, you know, imagine if, you know, before... um, you know, before Lady Macbeth came out, you know, we could have her as our star being born in a, in a star is born. Like that would be amazing because there are some actresses that you see in their first movie and you're like, oh, my God, that is a movie star or that is a great actress, whatever your chosen thing is. And I think that would be an interesting way to do this. But when you I mean, that movie was going to make money anyway. But, you know, you cast Lady Gaga, you're going to. You're going to make money. It's like putting Beyonce in a movie. Like, even if the movie's a piece of shit, 
all the fans are going to go see it. So you kind of got well, that yeah. got that going for it. So I mean, I, I re-listened to Shallow once again. It's a great uh, song. YouTube the other day. It's a great song. One billion views on YouTube, by the way. <laughs> one like billion. One billion. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even conceive it. Yeah, I can't I fathom what that means. Three minutes, yeah, like, I know it's only three and a half minutes long, but it's like, ah, But that's, that's three and a half billion minutes. People have listened to that just on that platform. Yep. That's not it's Apple insane. Music, Spotify, actual albums, radio play, just YouTube. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about one of the moments which was memefied uh, from the, the um, Cooper version where it's like, I just want to take one more look at you. And, you know, in that film, it's like, all right, dude. But here, I, I think that the connection moment between these two characters, between Norman Maine and Esther, um, that moment does carry resonance where we see him early on say, I just want to take one more look at you. Um, or, you know, can I have one more look at you? And then that last moment before he takes his life, and this is where I think that the film should have used restraint, exercised restraint, because seeing him strip off his robe and then walk into the ocean is just like, oh, dude. Whereas at least they had the moment where he looks at her and he's like, I want to have one more look at you. And then he goes outside. We should have just faded to black there because we know what he's going to do. We don't need to see it happen, and it would have carried so much more emotional resonance, and I would have been kinder on the film before that. Hey, darling. This is Maine coming in to apologize again. Uh, I'm sorry, dear, but it, it isn't you. What other troubles have you got? None. I was just playing a scene with myself. Now look, I'm just coming out of the jitters and you're just going into them. This is a swell household. Isn't it? I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll promise to brace up if you'll go on the wagon. <laughs> I guess I have been drinking too much. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be an athlete. You mean with great big muscles and everything? Well, roughly speaking. Gonna join the YMCA? Uh, it costs too much. I'm going waiting out in our front yard. Now? Sure. Would you like me to go with you? Sure, if you'd like to. No, me. I don't think I will. It might spoil this beautiful, natural way. Yeah, I guess that's right. But darling, look, uh, could you have a hot toddy... Um, I mean, some hot soup for me when I come back. Some hot soup? Yeah, and, and I'll make some of those nice sandwiches. Norman, do you have to? <laughs> <laughs> come on, darling. Now, don't stay in too long. Mind if I take just one more look?
those two moments where we do see him go into the ocean and we do see the celebration of her being free of him now. I, I, I really struggle with this film because there are moments which I like. But then that happens and I hate it. I hate this film for that. And yeah, this film doesn't matter. And I don't understand why... There are so many versions of it. Could you could you tell me why? I know we're to touch on it, but could you tell me in a succinct manner why we have so many versions of this story? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's the it's the mythology of the moment, right? It's everyone's dream, not everyone's, but a lot of people's dream to just be, you know, walking down the street and discovered, right? Someone sees that I'm special. Someone sees that I'm different and all of my dreams come true. And then the flip side of that, once your dreams come true, what happens, right? What is, there's a reality on the other side of that. And like, you know, just laid out like that, to me, that sounds like an interesting story, right? So like you said, you know, we've said this about other movies before, like, ah, there's a great movie in here. And I believe there is a great movie in A Star Is Born. You, I think, believe that we've found it. Uh, with Bradley Cooper's version. And I think we found a very good version. I think there's still room for a little bit more, which is a terrible thing to say, because that probably means there's going to be another fucking one of these movies, because some producer is going to be like, yeah, there is room for more. We could do this uh, one more time. It's been a good four or five years since we made this. Let's do it again. And the worst part is that, especially the Oscars, you know, this this basically giant corporation now is rewarding this, right? Because you know... If you make a Star is Born movie, that motherfucker's getting nominated one way or another. Like, they love it. So it's like anything that that talks about either how great or how dangerous or both Hollywood is, that's going to get the attention of Oscar voters. It just, it always is. We are enamored with the idea of the rise and fall of greatness. And you have all of that stuff here in two hours. Yeah, I think... There is an interesting story here, and if they are going to remake it in the future from a Hollywood perspective, I mean, originally Clint Eastwood was going to do it with Beyonce, and that could have been interesting, although we've seen Jersey Boys, and that is horrid. Um, so maybe not with Eastwood. But nonetheless, I want, to see some, I want to see something different done with this particular narrative if it is done again in the future. There is, you know, I think there are going to be interesting versions done. In 2013, there was... Uh, Ashikwi 2, which is a Hindi version of this story, and then Ni Jathaga Nanundala uh, in 2014. Apologies for my pronunciation. Perfect yeah, pronunciation. Know, rolling well done. Tongue, well done. <laughs> which was made in Telugu. <laughs> and that, you know, it sounds interesting to see. Like, I, I would love to see a Bollywood version of this particular film because, you know, Bollywood lends itself to this. Um, but. I'm done with this story now. I don't need to see the Garland version. I don't need to see the Streisand version. I'm, I'm done with it. I I'm done with the, with everything about this. I, I'm done with the celebration of, of what it is. And I think that Cooper did a good job with the story, but on the same hand, there is still that kind of, um, there is no, like, I think in a modern world, uh, we are more forgiving of the fallibility of celebrity. We're more forgiving of the, the failures that they have. I mean, look at Robert Downey Jr., for example. Like, he's a man mm. who... As long as you're a white man, you can do whatever exactly. you want. It's yeah. fine. You can get me mistaken. Don't be Terrence Howard, though. Um, you know, but it's just, like, we are a little bit more understanding. And I, I think that, um, I think that the, the you know, look at, look at how much Twitter 
but he works so hard to make bad things good. Like, like we, we still have people out there who are trying to rehabilitate Woody Allen and Roman Polanski. And, you know, and I'm not equating alcoholism with that, but I'm just trying to say that there are people out there who are like, no, no, must find the good in things. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out, that alcoholism and child rape They're are not, not the, same, the same, thing. same thing. They're not. So that's good. Thank goodness. But, good, good, good. I'm glad we made that clear. They're not the that's... same thing, but I just, I, I'm saying it in the sense that, you know, people are understanding and forgiving. And I kind of wish if there is a criticism of the Cooper version, I, I kind of wish that there was a little bit of that that took place in there because while social media and, and celebrity does exist in that particular film, there is a, there is no realization that fandom will accept failures and will accept and understand failures uh, almost to a fault. And it's disturbing in that manner. Well, not yeah, almost to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> to a fault. A hundred percent to a fault. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it definitely doesn't matter. Um, I wish that the original didn't exist because uh, then I wouldn't have to watch this five <laughs> fucking times. Um, it's a better world if a star is born doesn't exist at all. But, you know, it's uh, I also, you know, if I'm making this movie, I want to see a version of this movie where there's no suicide. Like, let a man uh, discover this woman, bring her to stardom, let her shine and then walk the fuck away. Like, show some actual masculinity, some actual strength, and walk away from fame and let her shine. Even even if it ends the relationship, just let her shine and be a fucking grown-up instead of being like, oh, I'm very sad because I am not successful anymore because I've, you know, I've started drinking or using drugs, so I guess I have to put a shotgun in my mouth. Like, come on, come on, guys. It's, it's okay to let Lady Gaga have her moment and just, I don't know, be a supportive partner. Like, all these men in these movies, like cannot be supportive partners like just like you're the one who brought her into this world this is on you buddy it's fine yeah they need to take a you know while the the ending of this series was absolutely horrid they need to take a slice of uh dexter morgan's life and um you know drive off into a tornado or a hurricane and then just appear in canada as a lumberjack that's like every single every single edition of the star is born would be made so much better if they go off into the ocean and friedrich march is suddenly in canada the lumberjack i i want to see that version (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah i would watch that so yeah i agree uh this doesn't matter um but i think the one of the interesting things is is that you know as we've talked about with films like the thin man where they effectively have had such a strong and enduring impact on society as a whole to the point where it, while there is no, there's not been any sort of direct remakes of the thin man, the influence of them is so strong and clear that, you know, that's what I find interesting about this kind of film that its impact is so strong and clear. I just don't know why, but, um, it wasn't even a huge financial success either. <laughs> like that's the thing is it it it, it cost something like one point two million dollars to make, and it made two million dollars at the box office. So it's not a huge financial success. Um, right, it made money, but it's not like oh, we got to do this again. Like look at all the money we made. A Star Is Born two. Let's go. Okay, well that's Ugh. that. <laughs> I'm fucking done with this film. <laughs> I really am. Like it's been a it's been a tough. Uh, this is a tough year because Emil Zola is what it is. This is what it is. Um, 
but I'm looking forward to the next films, which is um, the next be- best picture winner we'll be discussing is Frank Capra's winning You Can't Take It With You, uh, which he won Best Director and Best Picture for. Um, so I'm excited for that because I haven't seen it yet, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we're also going to do a bonus episode on the first film, not in the English language, to be nominated for Best Picture, which is Grand Illusion. Um, and playing my hand right now, it's uh, in my top 20 films of all time. I adore that film completely. Adore is not the right word, but I love it. I think it's a great film. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Day. De- what a pompous cinephile good lord yep we're gonna be talking in french um (laughs) uh awards don't matter pod uh awards don't pod on twitter that's what it is uh awards don't matter on facebook follow us there um subscribe leave a review whatever you want to do head over to website thecurb.com.au to listen to previous episodes as well if you want to do that dave where can people find you and where can they listen to you I want to, add, before you do actually, as well, <laughs> sorry, uh, I wanted to forget, like I've been listening to, you've been doing um, a show called Queer and Now as well, which has talked about a lot of films from the 1930s lately. People need to listen to that because you talk about some really interesting films there that um, are both bad and interesting in a lot of ways. And so I want to, yeah, I want to recommend that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so thank you. Um, you can, of course, find me on Twitter. Sadly, I'm still on Twitter. Um, to the chagrin of many of my co-hosts in podcasts, I'm still on Twitter. You can find me at Darn That Dave. Um, I do a number of podcasts, uh, including Offscreen Death. And as Andrew just mentioned, a show um, from Talk Film Society um, called Queer and Now, where basically uh, me and my co-host Manish um, take a look at queer movies throughout history. So we started with like 2010 to 2020, and then we went all the way back in time to do 1930 to 1940. So we basically pick one movie for every year that is a movie with either queer text or queer subtext in some way. Um, and I think uh, a movie that we mentioned on this uh, show briefly, Stage Door, we also took a look at on Queer and Now. So it's very interesting, especially to go from the 2010s where things are very in your face about the queerness of a movie back to the 1930s where it's like, oh, we don't talk about that kind of thing uh, on film. So, yeah. So so be sure to check that out. You can find the, uh, that show on Twitter uh, at Queer and Now Pod uh, and you can find it, you know, alongside this show on any of your podcatchers of your choice, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you want to listen to podcasts, you will find me. Uh, I am very sorry. So are you lovely. And the whole world lovely. But don't come to see A Star is Born expecting to find a Cinderella story or a glorification of motion picture. Instead, you will be shocked by the price that must be paid in heartbreak and tears for every moment of triumph in Hollywood. What I'm here to find out is do I get them or do I get them? Unforgettable scenes of drama, intimate secrets in the lives of the great, bold revelations of how screen careers are ruined, come to light in Selznick International's Technicolor production, A Star is Born. The rich human interest story of Hollywood is filled with happiness and despair, joy and tragedy, a crazy quilt of madness, sanity, laughter and tears, the desperate struggle to reach the top and the battle to remain there. Salesnick International brings you Janet Gaynor and Frederick March with a notable supporting cast including Adolf Manju in the role of a producer. You're not in jail, are you? May Robson. Hello, can you hear me? Andy Devine as an assistant director. Quiet! Quiet! 
Lionel Stander as a headline-grabbing press agent, and Edgar Kennedy. They come to you in Hollywood's first true story, rising from the heartaches and laughter of a million men and women. Janet Gaynor and Frederick March in A Star is Born give you a Hollywood the world does not know. They answer for the first time a strange question. What is the cold fear clutching at the hearts of the famous? Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzcastNetwork.com for details.